Well, let's go ahead and get started then. Um, I'm picking up where Pastor Scott left off. So we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 4. We probably won't get through this chapter. It's a really long chapter. He only had like 20-something verses to go. This thing is like 40-something verses. Yeah, 44. So we probably won't get all the way through it. Y'all like studying about Elijah and Elisha? Those are two really interesting characters. I, I, I like them. So we're... Chapter 4. Chapter 4. And 2 Kings. He took you all the way through chapter 3, so I'm going to pick up on chapter 4. A couple stories here about uh, Elisha. If you ever have a problem in remembering who they are, they're alphabetical. J is before S, Elijah and Elisha. I think the question was asked last week uh, when it comes about the sons of the prophets. That could be a literal son of a prophet, or it could be someone who uh, was coming as a disciple. Elisha at one time would have been considered a son of a prophet to Elijah because that was who he was training under. And we'll see that Elisha, as uh, Pastor Scott mentioned last week, what did he ask for as Elijah was going up? Bold. Double portion. Double portion. Elijah, one of the most powerful prophets you know, that we've read about in the Old Testament, and Elisha wants a double portion of what he had. Think about that for a second. That's a man of faith. He saw everything Elijah could do. And he says, I want double that. That's a man of faith. But what we're going to find out tonight is that God will still test his prophets. No matter how much faith they have. Why does God test your faith? To make it stronger. Make it stronger. Absolutely. Absolutely. To make, your, to make your faith stronger. He knows what your faith is. He wants to make sure you know what your faith is. So let's go ahead and begin in verse 1. So a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elijah saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. If you read some of the commentaries, a lot of people will believe that this is the wife of Obadiah. Uh, who was, you know, in cahoots with Ahab and helping him out. But he was also the man who also hid a lot of the Lord's prophets, who hid in 15 caves and stuff. But a lot of people say, no, that couldn't be it because he wouldn't have been a son of a prophet. So how do you say, we don't know exactly who this wife was, but we do know that she is crying out, and we know one thing about her, your servant, my husband, is dead. So how does she start out this conversation? Huh? She starts out very humble. Very humble. But also wants to put in there, you know my, my husband. You know who he is. He was your servant. And then you get to the interesting part, and you have to know something about what's going on at that time. And the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. Why is that? Because back then, that was a custom. When someone went into debt, they would put themselves up as a guarantee. And so this wife's husband put, her, put himself up as a guarantee. But since now he is dead, guess who that falls on? Two sons. That, by the way, is in the Mosaic Law. That that could actually happen. 
that they could actually put up. Now, this this is this is what you call. This is not. We are so enamored right now with slavery and the, and the brutality of slavery. And slavery is wrong. But this type of slavery is not the type of slavery that you're hearing about today. This is called indentured slavery. This is you owe me a debt, you need to work it off. And while you're working it off, you're my slave. Guess what? Well, we are in an age, though. How many of y'all still owe on your car? Raise your hand. You owe on your car. Owe on your house. He's just sitting there. He ain't going to raise his hand. <laughs> is there anything you owe anything on? Are you, are you debt free? You debt free? Excellent. For all y'all who raise your hands, you're a slave. You're a slave to the person you owe the money to. Whether it be a bank or someone who loans you the money, you're a slave to that. That's an indentured slave. You have to pay that money back. What is, what's going to happen if you stop the payment? Well, they don't get my husband. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> did you put him up as a guarantee for your loan? <laughs> I like that. Well, they come and get my husband. Oh. I didn't mean that. <laughs> I don't know if that's just kind of maybe on counseling after all this. So, um, so it's like with my sons. Uh, we would we will uh, co-sign. You know, when, when our when our children were coming up to buy cars or or uh, my my son wanted to buy a motorcycle, and I tell I told him all the time he did he got a motorcycle he rode it for a little bit until he, I told him if you get one of those that you bend over your back's gonna hurt guess what his back started hurting he hadn't ridden that thing in two years it's sitting in our garage right now but I told him I told every single one of them whether it be a car a motorcycle whatever we're co-signing for you're making the payments we make them pay the insurance payment as well of course they have to pay gas and they have to do the fixing up of it. I said, if there's, let's say there's 30 payments. If you make 29 payments and you miss that last payment, guess who that car belongs to? That's my car. I don't care how much you pay for it. I co-sign for that. And if I have to pay one payment on it, that's mine. That teaches them responsibility. That teaches them responsibility. That teaches them you've got to pay for what you have. Here they had to pay for it, and, and they would make their servants, or they'd make the husbands and the sons, they'd make them indentured slaves. And the, this woman is, is crying out, they're going to take my sons. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Now, the oil that we're talking about, they usually had uh, two types of jars in the house. They had the bigger jars, the bigger pots, for cooking. And that was what they put the cooking oil in. As a matter of fact, I think you go to most people's songs right now, you have Western oil or something like that, they come in a big old jar, right? A big old jar of Western oil. That was the bigger jars. She, though, from everything that I've read, that everything I've studied, is talking about a small little jar. Probably for anointing. That's all she had. So, okay, then he said, and I said, go, borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. Let's examine that verse just for a little bit. This woman, everybody knows, probably all in town, because everybody likes to gossip. And everybody probably knows her sons are going to be taken because she can't pay her debt. 
That most likely is true. Small little neighborhood. And Elisha's asking her to do what? Go borrow vessels that you don't own. You go do something, get out of your comfort zone, and go borrow something that you don't own, even though you already have a debt to pay. How do you think that would make most of us feel right now? Go do something. We, if, if your parents were around, you'd say, don't get over your head. You're already in debt. Why are you going to go in further debt? That's basically what Elijah's telling her to do. Go borrow some empty vessels. Just from everywhere. Just go ask all your neighbors. I need your empty vessel. I need your empty vessel. But something we don't see from this woman at all. What do you not see from her? I mean, the next verse doesn't say the woman's sitting there scratching her head. But why? Why am I borrowing empty vessels? You don't see that. What is this showing us for the woman when Elisha's asking her to do this? This is a test of faith. Don't get the empty vessels. And then, on top of that, he says, don't just gather a few. Gather as many as you can get. As many as you can get. Then come up here, put them all up here, and shut the door. So that's what they did. When you come in and shut the door, your sons then pour into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. Remember, she has a little jar. She's borrowing big vessels, and she's supposed to pour in all those and set aside the full ones. I have to stop and think, if I was put into that situation, I would look at that man and say, you're crazy. You're crazy, Elisha. You want me to take this little jar, borrow empty vessels, and pour it all into these big ones. Does that remind you of anything in the New Testament? Water to wine. Water to wine, okay. Loaves and fishes. Loaves, fishes. And if your faith was as big as a mustard seed, if you just have a little bit of faith, just a little, I'll make all this happen. But Elisha's not saying, I'm going to make it happen. God's going to make this happen. Elisha knew exactly where his power came from. He says, if you just have a little bit of faith, this is going to happen for you. Apparently, this woman has a whole bunch of faith. A lot of faith. Because look at verse 5. So she went in from him and shut the doors, but they gathered them all. Her and her sons. Which, by the way, her sons followed her. They didn't ask any questions either. Now, I know what their motive is for not asking, but we don't want to be sold. <laughs> Let's see if this works. So they're going, they're going out with their mom, borrowing all these empty vessels, shut the door behind them. It says, now it came to pass when the vessels were full. <laughs> we don't know how long that took, but I just had, just think about being in the closed room, and here they go. I'm going to pour it into this one. It's still going. Wow, looky there, it's full. I'm going to pour it into this one. I mean, we're talking a little one pouring into a bigger. This is physically, scientifically impossible. That one's full. Let's keep doing this. I can imagine some dancing, some hand clapping going on around. Look at this. Yes. That's probably why I told him to shut the door. There's going to be a lot of noise in there because when you see what's going on, you're going to make a racket. I don't know. That's speculation. And bring me... And then and it, now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. 
She's excited. She's excited to see what just happened in front of her. And she says, let's see if we can do some more. Have you ever been that way about God? That's how we do it. That's how we do it. Yeah, man, this is going great. Let's go. Let's go. Let's do some more. Let's do some more. But what happened before that to get to that point? There was a whole lot of faith right here to get to there. A whole lot of faith. The woman didn't question Elijah. The woman said, let's go for it. Let's just throw it all out there. She didn't even care about the embarrassment. She was going to go around to all the neighbors. I don't care what you say about me. Just give me your empty vessels. I can imagine her knocking on some doors. Oh, it's her. Just don't, don't let her see you through the curtains. Just move aside. So she, so, oh, she's still there. Yes, what would you like? I need your empty vessels. Why? I just need your empty vessels. Please. And, she, and she's giving up. She didn't care about the shame. She didn't question Elisha. She said, I'm just going to do it. There's a lot of faith on this side to get to where God needs you to go. That happens in our lives. We can't get to where God needs us to go until we have a lot of faith saying, we need to take that step. You need to take a step of faith. When I was singing with the quartet, there was an old song, Step Into the Water. What's the next line to that song? Wait out a little bit deeper. We need to wait out a little bit deeper. We can't be just standing in shallow water going, all right, Lord, bless me. When I see that it's safe to stand, you know, to step over there, I'm going to step over there. You show me it's safe to step there and I'll step there. God says go, and then I'll show. He told that to Abraham, did he not? What did he tell Abraham? Gather up everything and go to a land that I will show you. He didn't draw the map, didn't tell him what the land was called. He just said, go, and I'll show you where it is. That's how faith is. You know, if God made it visible, guess what? It's not faith, is it? Okay, now I trust you, God. I can see it now. I got you now. I'm going now. That's not what God wants us to do. God has to put it into our hearts sometimes. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? That prayer request right there. I told my Sunday school class, have you ever had a moment or moments? I know at the age that we're at, I know I'm younger than most of you. I think I'm older than you. Uh, <laughs> but for most of us, you wake up at night, right? Like, you know, somewhere between 2 and 4 a.m. because you got to go to the bathroom or something like that. I understand that. But have you ever woken up with a burning thought on your mind? I mean, you didn't have to wake up. You didn't have to get over your grogginess. You just, you just, Got up, and it's like, why am I thinking that? Why am I thinking that? For me, I don't know about you, that's usually God saying, I got something. I need to talk to you. It's quiet. Nothing's going on. 3 a.m., wake up. He did it to me three times last week that I had a burning thought on my head. And God says, Rick, I need to talk to you. Because he knew what I was struggling with. For some of y'all, I've been in my job. I was a, uh, a lead man doing everything they asked me to do. 
But they decided to come in one day and laterally move me. What's a lateral movement? You don't have the same position, but everything else is the same. It's like, okay, why? And they told me the reasons why. It's like, well, they're going to move me from the warehouse into the office, air conditioning. Won't have to walk around on the warehouse floors. It's like, you know, you could have at least ask me. I'd have probably said yes. Because there's some people out there I really didn't want to deal with. Them, but it was my job to deal with them. But they didn't ask me. And I was mad. I was livid at that. It's like, why didn't you just at least ask me? I've done everything you asked me to do. I've been over backwards for you. But they decided to do a lateral movement for me. So you all my hands, all right, I'll do it. Sure, why not? I'll be sitting down, air-conditioned office, not a problem. And that took me a couple of days to get from there to there. But I got there. And then I come in, and they made me, so they, they put me, they made me a, um, uh, what do they call me, uh, mapping and order management. So I work at a warehouse with belts, and they're, they're these big, huge belts. And when the order comes in, you have to map out the belt to know how much square footage you're using so they know how much they have in inventory. And then that's order management as well. So I teach it to me. Not a problem. So I had the plant manager teaching it to me and uh, there for about a week. Come in the next week, guess what? Get called back. So we made a mistake. You see, when we did that, we didn't offer the job to everybody. It's like, well, that wasn't my fault. You offered it to me. I said, sure. Actually, I didn't have a choice in the matter. And there is a guy who's been working there about 20 years, and he did mapping for about 15 of them. It's like, so they gave it to him. And they decided, so now we're going to make you special project manager and shipping and get shipping real straight. And it's like, I don't want to do shipping. I have no interest in shipping. I could care less about shipping. Don't care about it. And I was mad again. I was so mad that I called my wife and I said, I'm about to quit. Don't want to be here. That's how mad they made me. She said, honey, we can't afford that. Please don't do that. Thank you. She was right. <laughs> I needed to calm down a little bit. But I told, but, but, but our dryer, I started making noises on Monday. And I looked in, I couldn't find why I was making noise. And lo and behold, my wife called and actually had a repairman to come out on Tuesday. And this was Monday that this happened to me. And I, I just told uh, my boss, I said, I'm going to take tomorrow off. He said, I understand. So I got a repairman coming over. My wife told us need to stay home and take tomorrow off. And so I did. And so I took the next day off. Repairman come over, a young Russian guy, only been in America for five years, can conversate with you. You know, can't go much further than that. So he goes in there, looks at the dryer, takes the thing off, looks at the, uh, the, the um, I just lost the word for it, the spinning thing. Uh, drum. Drum, thank you. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> uh, looks at the drum, it's fine. Goes in the side, looks up there, takes a little needle of those pliers, pulls out a paper clip. Which came out of my pocket because I was using paper clips a lot. That little paper clip cost me 100 bucks. <laughs> he said, that's my job. I'm sorry. So as he was doing up the bill, his name's Nikolai. I said, Nikolai, I love doing this. I said, if you were to die tonight and stand before God and he would ask you, why should I let you in my heaven, what would you say? 
And some words clicked with him. I could tell, but not every word clicked with him. So he got out his little phone, started pulling up a little app, and showed it to me. He's a Jehovah's Witness. So we started talking about the Bible. And don't get me wrong, when Jehovah's Witnesses come to my door, buddy, I love it. I'll sit there and talk with them, I'll talk their heads off. I don't care. You tell me what you believe, I'm going to tell you what I believe. We're at different impasses anyways. Let's just share some information. It says in Isaiah, let's reason this out. And so we sat there and we talked. Of course, he, he was trying to... They, they, they had this new approach, by the way. My wife's family from Ohio, they're Jehovah's Witnesses. So I've had some dealings with them. But um, they have this new approach now. they got this little book called The Book of Reasoning on what they want to reason with you. About the 144,000, about why this, about why that. And we sat there and talked, and I said, Look, Nikolai, I'd love to talk to you some more. Why don't we set up a date so we can get together? Now, in my mind, I've done this like four or five other times. Every time I set up a date with Joe or a Mormon, they'll go back, talk to their elders, never see them again. Because I was very upfront with them. I'm a Baptist pastor. I know we have differences in theology, how we study God. But if you just want to sit down and talk, I'll be more than happy to talk to you. And we we did. We set it up. We met. Uh, we were going to meet at Ron Wallace Park the day that it was just raining cats and dogs. So we met at McDonald's. He brought a friend with him as a translator. Wasn't an elder. I thought, oh, great, he's bringing an elder. This will be fun. No, it's just a friend who goes to his Russian church or Slavic church that, that would help him translate. His name was Jonathan. And we sat there for over an hour. He was telling me his things. I was telling him mine. Because I, you know, I mean, and I have the, um, let's see, they're the, the Watchtower, the Watchman Society. They, they come here uh, a few times at Pitts. I've had some of their articles, but they're all packed away. I mean, I've got the Watchtower things on how many times they said things, and they were dead wrong. And yet they accept these things. Now, why did I tell you all that story? Because God had to show me that this wasn't about me. Because if I had not been moved to my job laterally twice, there would have been no way I'd have told my wife I'm taking the day off. So that night he woke me up. He said, Ricky, what's more important? Nikolai, or your job? Well, Nikolai. Of course, he made it a little bit more evident too. Maybe Nikolai's not going to think Jonathan was listening. I had two of them listening. And that's where faith says, you got to step out sometimes. That's where God is. That's why I put that on there because I think he's making it a lot easier for me to say, I'll step away from my job and go take care of my in-laws. Not a problem. I don't know what property we're going to have when we get down there. I don't know where we're going to live. And I don't know what my job is going to be. And I don't care because God said, I'm in this. That doesn't usually happen with me because what he had to show me is that I'm very self-centered, uh, very, we're actually doing Sunday school lessons on prayer and uh, God's will. It was prayer and now this court is God's will. But he had to show me that I'm very self-centered in my prayer sometimes. That I pray for me and what's best for me. See, right now the best thing for me to do is to sell my house because, buddy, it's, I can make three times the profit than what we bought it for. Go down there and move, and we'd be debt-free. That'd be the best thing for me. But guess what? 
My kids are struggling. The married kids are struggling. The ones that are about to get married are struggling. I have two that really aren't struggling at all. But when we have the family conference, they're going to all get together and I'm going to let them rent the house that we're in right now. And we're going to go down there and rent a property until I told my wife, I'm not renting it. I'm not throwing money away. And God said, yeah, you are. You're going to listen. You're going to go down there and rent a property. Because I don't want to buy one because if the housing market falls, I'll have this house to sell. But that one down there is going to be really expensive to sell. Can't do it. It's okay. And this too. About 10 years ago or 15 years ago when I was over at Shady Brook, we'd always do spiritual gifts tests. I know y'all done them in here. Y'all done spiritual gifts tests, right? Guess where I really excel in spiritual gifts? I love teaching. I love discipleship. Guess where I really love in spiritual gifts? Mercy and helps. Guess where my wife is high in spiritual gifts? Mercy and helps. And I prayed about 10, 15 years ago. I said, because during our session, during that, um, I said, Lord, because they say, wherever you're lowest at, pray that God will help you with that. Be careful what you pray. Because 10 or 15 years down the road, he's going to say, now do you get it? And I'm seeing that raised now. This ain't about me. This ain't about me at all. This is about sharing what God has done and showing how faithful I can be. All right, now where were we? Oh, yeah, faith. Bring me another vessel. Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there's not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Every commentary you'll read about this is saying this is about faith. About how much faith can be. And even though you can't see exactly the outcome of faith, and even though it's beyond our imagination on where this could lead, look where that led for this woman who was in debt. She had a little vial, and she could fill up big ones. She had a little bit of faith, but buddy, God will take that faith and mold it and make it into something more exciting than you could ever dream of. And that's what he did for the woman. And so the oil ceased, and then she came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil, pay your debt. Kids were jumping up and down on that one. And you and your sons live on the rest. Not only did her prayer get answered, my sons are in debt, can you help us out? God says, not only am I going to help you out because you're faith, I'm going to give you just a little bit extra to live on. That's an amazing God. That God that's right there is the same God we serve today. If you have some faith and put it in you. And I hope we all can. I'm trying to do it right now. And I know it's going to work out. Not a problem. Any questions on that little section? Because this next section is a little bigger. Alright, so let's go on to the next session. How much do I have? What are we, what are we leaving here, by the way? Whenever I stop? Okay. Now, it happened one day that Elijah went to Shunan where there was a notable woman and she persuaded him to eat some food. Now, a notable woman, we don't know what the notable means. It could be a very uh, persuasive woman. It could be a very tall woman. It could be a, very, a woman with lots of... Notable has many definitions. And she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was, as often as he passed by. Why would Elijah pass by this place often? Y'all probably know if you can go through Kings. What did Elijah do that Elijah now has picked up the mantle of? 
He's a teacher, so he's going around to the prophet schools. There are prophet schools that, you know, Elisha's going around and he's teaching, and this house is on the way to one of the prophet schools. That's why he passes by there regularly, that he would turn and eat some food. And she said to her husband, look now, I know this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly because he's teaching, he's a circuit teacher. Please let us make up a small upper room on the wall and let us put a bed in there for him and a table and a chair and a lampstand so it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. Now, I know you studied that, that you know, the rooftops back then was a place that they would gather. They wouldn't gather in the house, they'd gather on top of the roofs. And that's where they would, they would have, and that's where they would eat. And, uh, and then she decided, well, we're going to make our roof a, a, a little getaway for the prophet. We're going to do what now? We're in a small room. We're going to put a bed there for him. So when he comes, he can, and, and usually you have access from the outside to the roof. So you can climb up the outside. You wouldn't have to go inside and disturb him. Just whenever he came by, just go up. He has a room. There's a bed. Not only that, apparently she made a study for him. Why in the world would you put a chair in the lampstand? So you could read. So she made somewhere he could come, sleep, read, and continue to go. And it happened one day, as she, she, she prepared all that, that he came there and he turned into the upper room and laid down there. And then he said to Gehazi, and I, I say Gehazi, some people say it differently, but... I'm going to say Gehazi through this. His servant, he says, call the Shumamite woman. And when, he, and when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to her, say now to her, look, you've been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Basically, it's like the saying, thank you. Thank you so much. Is there anything I can do for you now? The woman has not asked for anything. She saw a man of God, wanted to take care of him. Didn't say a word about it. Didn't say you owed him anything. And this is what he offers. Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king? Stop there. Let's just go to the top. <laughs> is there anything that you want the king to know? Because I have audience with the king. I'll go there and speak on your behalf. Man, that's some good, that, that, that right there. I'm I oh, okay. You're going to be my advocate. You're going to be my voice. Excellent. The king respects you. Excellent. What can I ask for? Now, for some of us, a little bit of greed might be starting to set in right there. Hmm. I have this unique opportunity to ask the king anything. Or the commander of the army. Either one. I know them both. Can we say anything to him? Here's her answer. She answered, I dwell among my own people. You know what she basically said? I'm good. I'm good. God's blessed me. I'm good. And she answered, I dwell among my own people. Verse 14. So he said, what then is to be done for her? So Elisha wants to do something for her. And he basically just asked, well, what can I do for you? Anything? <coughs> You've got to like an attentive servant. So Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son. And her husband is old. Man, we've heard this one before in the Bible, haven't we? There's two things in the Bible that you never wanted to happen to. One is being barren. Because women who were barren, they thought were cursed. 
God cursed them. Your lineage is no longer going to sustain. It's going to be cut off. You're it. Done. But not only that, your husband's old. In other words, you may be fertile, but he ain't going to do anything about that. Nothing's going to happen there. What's the other thing, by the way, that you did not want to happen in the Bible? Yep. Because <laughs> then you're outcast among society. So she has one of the two terrible things that could happen to you. She's barren. Just like Sarah was barren. Just like Samuel's mom was barren. This woman was barren. And Gehazi, of all people, Gehazi was the one who says, hey, she has no children. She needs some kids. Now, I'm thinking maybe this was on his mind because the last miracle just happened. Now, I say that tongue-in-cheek. Know that when you're going through 2 Kings that some of these things that are taking place are not chronological in order. They're not chronological in order. From everything I've read, these two things did not happen back-to-back. So don't go there. Most likely that this is not happening right after that happened. But Gehazi was at least observant enough to say, she has no children, my Lord. That's what he'd probably call Elisha. So he called her. When he, when he had called her, she stood in the doorway and he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace the son. Amen. That should have made her just happy and elated and joyful. But she's not quite like the woman who needed to fill the vessels and her sons were going away. Now, this is her answer. And she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. Now, there's a response that most of us would probably had. I'm old. My husband's older. This is not happening. Don't sit there and lie to me. Don't sit there and give me some good feelings. You know, I won't even see you. You're not even going to come by next year, are you? You're just going to go away and laugh. This is not really going to happen. That's sort of what her response is here. Of course, there's another woman who laughed when she said she was going to get pregnant. Yeah, she laughed and she got pregnant. You probably shouldn't laugh if a man of God tells you you're going to get pregnant. <laughs> I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you're even missing some parts. If God says you're going to get pregnant, you're going to get pregnant. <laughs> Talking about the woman, not the man. The woman can... Anyways, we're, we're going to continue on from there. Uh, and she said, you may, But the woman conceived, in verse 17, and bore son when the appointed time had come of which Elijah had told her. Alright, so it takes nine months to conceive. So within three months after Elijah left, what happened to this lady? She got pregnant. She probably didn't know the first month. She probably suspected something the second month because she's probably getting sick and all these other things. About the third month, she's probably showing just here. I'm pregnant. And about that time, she conceived and bore a son when they appointed time to come. So they, just like Elisha said, you're going to get pregnant and you're going to have, oh yeah, he had a 50-50 shot. Well, in these days and terms, it would be more because of everybody's stupid mindset, whatever you want to identify. She could have had a cat if that's what they were. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm going off track. So, 50-50 shot, but Elijah said you're going to have what? You're going to have a son. Why is that important? That's the lineage. You're going to have a son. Your name's going to continue. And she had a son. And the child grew. And now it happened one day 
Then he went out to his father, to the reaper. So he's going out to his father, the reapers. What time is it? It's harvest time. They're going out to the harvest. The child grew. So, yeah, what age do they work at now? Who knows? He's probably somewhere between 9 and 14 years old. Weaned off, being able to go. I got an 11-year-old buddy. He just likes to do whatever. Tell him to do something. He'll want to do it. So he's, 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 he's probably not quite a teenager. Young, young, young fellow. Going out through. And his father said, and he said to his father in verse 19, My head, my head. <clears throat> Everything that I've read said that he's probably got something to do with the heat. It's more than heat exhaustion here that he's got. Because he's saying it's my head, my head. He's got something, and we don't know what the medical thing is here, but considering that it was harvest time, considering that he's young, he's probably enthusiastic, working with his dad. He's working out in the sun, probably didn't cover himself enough. And now he's got something to do with the heat, and his head is hurting him. And so he said to the servant, carry him to his mom. Now, this is not an uncaring dad. I want to go ahead and get that straight for two reasons. One, it's harvest time. And he's making money for the family and he's getting food for the family. Number two, where do kids usually like to go when they're in pain? You go to the nurturer. You go to the mom. Oh, by the way, there's different swings between men and women. God made that very evident. And the mom is the nurturer. Kid gets hurt, they run to mom. She just, she just, that's, that's what moms do. She said, take him to his mom. And when he had taken him, he brought him up to his mother. He sat on her knees till noon, and then he died. He did not fall into a coma. He did not go to sleep. The kid is dead. And she went up, and look at what her response is. First of all, you have a woman who was elated that she had a child. Little boy, lineage continued, exactly what the prophet said was going to happen. And then that little kid come up, lay in that mom's lap, and died in her arms. She is heartbroken. She is probably distressing right now. And this is her first move. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. Not her bed. Not the dad's bed. The man of God's bed. And shut the door upon him. And went out. What do you think is going through this woman's mind right now? I can tell you a few things because we're going to read what her response is when Elisha does some things. But she said, that prophet promised me a son and now he's dead. I'm going to take him up to that bed and lie him there because he promised me my son. This is a struggle of faith right here for this woman. This is a struggle of faith. And it happens in our lives too. God says, I'm promising that man, you start walking, you start wading out to that water, everything's going great, and then, bam, a roadblock. What do we do? Oh, God's abandoned us. Oh, this ain't going to work out. Why didn't I even try this? I'm sure I'm probably going to hit a few of those down in South Carolina. Why are we down here again, Lord? Oh, yeah, thank you. We have to be reminded of what God can do for us sometimes. We have to be told something. Now, this one right here for the woman, this is hard. This is losing a child. I know what that feels like. That's hard. It's going to test her. 
shuts the door, verse 22, then she called out to her husband and said, please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. She is pleading with her husband who is out still doing the harvest to say, stop one of those donkeys from plowing. I need him. You do realize that's what she's asking. Stop harvesting. I need one. And I need one of those young men that's helping you too. I need one. Will you do this for me? That husband would have been insane to say no. She'd have probably killed him. So he said, do you have to go to him today? He didn't say no, but he wants to question her motives. Why do you need to go to him today? Ain't that like most of us men? Well, I say something, we need to question their motives sometimes, men. We do. It's okay. It's okay to question them. We, we got to make sure they're thinking straight, right, men? I know it's no man, man, every man in here sitting dead still. No, I'm not going to answer that question. No. Hey, you, you, especially at the ages that we are now, you just want to make sure they're thinking things through. It's all he's doing. Give the man a break. It is neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, it is well. Not the first time she's going to say it is well. And so obviously the husband said, all right, there you go. Everything's well. Okay. I trust you. And then she sat with the donkey and said to her servant, drive. And go forward and do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. Now this is a woman on a mission. She wants to go somewhere as fast as she can go. She says, you go as fast as you can. I'll let you know if I need to slow down. You go as fast as you can. Of course, on her mind, where's she going? I need to go straight to the man of God as quickly as possible. Don't slacken that pace. And so she departed and went to the man of God at Mount Carmel. And if and we remember when uh, Pastor Scott drew the board and you know, had the like Sea of Galilee and, and they're like right here and you had the Mediterranean over here. She has to actually go from here over to there. It's a nice little long trip to go as fast as you can. So don't slacken it. They went to the man of Carmel. So it was when the man of God saw her afar off that he said to his servant Gehazi, now this is something that's customary too. Uh, that you send servants out. The, the, the notable people would send servants out to do the things that they need to do. He sent Gehazi and I said, Look, the Shemite woman, please run now to meet her and say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? Which is interesting because Elisha doesn't know anything about it. We'll see that here in a second. And that's what happened. And here's the woman's answer. It is well. That's confusing, isn't it? It is well. That was a custom that they did. You answered in the affirmative. Whether it was bad or good, you say, it is well. Now when she came to the man, that's, I read and read, that's the only good explanation I can It was just a custom at the time. They did that. Now somebody can come up with something better. That's all I can find. It is well. It was customary. No matter if it was good or bad, you say, it is well. And she answered, it is well. Now when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet. Let's just stop there. Who else? Who other woman caught another prophet by the feet and begged him? What about the woman with issues? Who did she catch by the feet? 
Jesus. You always have shadows, foreshadowings of the perfect one. Elijah and Elisha are foreshadowings of what Jesus is going to do. Shekinah that's also a shot of humility too. You, 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 you lower yourself as low as possible. Call him on his feet. But Gehazi came here to push her away. That's another foreshadowing. <laughs> when all the children wanted to come to Jesus, what did the disciples do? No, no, get away. What did Jesus tell them? Don't stop them. I love them. Let them come to me. Let them come to me. Foreshadowings. There's foreshadowings all through the Old Testament. Uh, but the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is in deep distress. So he could tell there's something wrong with the woman. You can tell that just by her demeanor. You can tell that sometimes when you look into somebody's eyes. Whether they say something or not, if you, if you know anything about personality, you can look into somebody's eye going, there's something wrong with you. You're not how I remember you. There's something a little off about you. She says she's into deep distress. Not just distress, but deep distress. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. What does that tell you? That usually when Elisha goes out, what does God do for him? Here's what's about, here, here, I'm going to lay this out for you, okay? Here's what they are, here's what's happening in their life, here's what's going on right there. He lays it out for a life. That's what's being implied right here. That usually when Elisha comes out, God is with him. God's saying, this is what's happening in these people's lives. This is what's happening over here. But in this particular instance, Elisha knew nothing that was going on. God has not told Elisha anything. So by his own thing, he said, the woman's deeply stressed. I don't know why. And so the Lord has hidden this from me. Has not told me. Verse 28. So she said, did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? That was the words out of her mouth. Then he said to Gehazi, get yourself ready. Take my staff in your hand and be on your way. Elisha immediately knew what? Child's dead. God did not reveal this to him, but gave him the competency to go. She's in deep distress. Her, her, her quest, did I not ask you for a son? Did I not say, do not deceive me? First of all, Elisha knew you're going to have a son. She already, he already knew he had, she had a son. Do not deceive me. Elisha immediately said, even though God did not reveal it to him, but God gave him the capacity to say, Put this all together, Elisha. What just happened? Son's dead. He said to Gehazi, get my staff. The staff was the recognition of the prophets of God. It's probably a shepherd's staff. Probably the one who came things. Get my staff. Take it in your hand. Be on your way. If you meet anyone, do not greet them. Customary to greet everybody who came. Hey, hey, you know, like, like you used to. That's why they used to have porches. They're not porches anymore because nobody wants to sit out and say hey to anybody. That's what they used to do. Hey, hey, don't greet anyone. And if anyone greets you, don't answer don't even stop. Go straight to the boy and lay my staff on the face of the child. So this is his first thing that he's going to do, which I find interesting in these. And the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives, that word lives actually comes from the word Yahweh, okay? And it's actually a sworn, this is actually taking a, and note, as the Lord lives, as your soul is, I will not leave you. In other words, she's, she's telling Elisha, I ain't going, I swear to, I swear to God, I'm not going to leave you until you go. I'm going to be right by your side. And I'm swearing that to the Lord right here. <coughs> so he arose and followed her. 
Now Gehazi went on ahead, so they, those two were going, and Gehazi went on, laid the staff on the face of the child, and get this, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Elisha's first attempt what? Elisha's first attempt failed. Did you notice that when you read that? Did you ever think a prophet could do anything and it would fail? Elisha's doing the things that Elijah told him to do, that he learned from Elijah. He put the staff on there. He said, put the staff on there. It did not work. Okay. Child has not waited. When Elisha, um, oh wait, where was that? The staff, but there was, uh, there, therefore he went back to meet him and told him, saying, the child is not awakened. Verse 32. When Elisha came into the house, there was the child lying dead on his bed. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind him. And, of course, this is just like Jesus would do. He didn't want the crowds or anything to notice what's going on. So he shut the door behind him to be in privacy and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands. And he stretched him out, out on the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. Now, <laughs> some of the commentaries, liberal commentaries, will say, well, that's an old resuscitation message. That the da -da 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 -da. No, it's not. That's not how you resuscitate anybody. It's not even a heart massage. Uh, he did what Elijah, he saw Elijah actually do. So he's doing it. He's going to lay on his kid just like this. And the child became warm. And you're thinking to your head, oh, the life is returning to him. No, Elijah's body warmth is going into the child. The child is still dead as a doornail. Child is not revived. <coughs> Second attempt. So you got to pause here. Wait, this is a man of God. This is a prophet. His first attempt didn't work. His second attempt didn't work. What is God doing with him? Think this. Think about this. Staff didn't work. Laying on him didn't work. What's God doing here? He's testing the Thank you. You need to say that a little louder. <laughs> Not only is the woman's faith being tested, he's testing the faith of Elisha. Don't think that just because you're a man of God that God will not test your faith. He'll probably test it more so. He's also testing Elisha here. Because if you look at that, the child became warm, but nothing happened. He returned and walked back and forth in his house and again. Okay, so he put the staff on, didn't work. He laid on, didn't work. And remember, he prayed before he laid on him. So Elisha is now walking back and forth. Hmm. Okay. That didn't work. He's pacing. This, this is a prophet pacing right here. He's walking back and forth. He's probably a little perplexed. Okay, I prayed, I did that, I did this. Um, he's testing Elisha's faith. Elisha's walking back and forth now. He's probably praying too at the same time. This is probably a prayer walk, people. Lord, I've done everything you've asked me to do. I did the staff, I did the laying on him. Nothing is happening, Lord. What do you want me to do now? It's most likely what came out of his mouth. I mean, if you were in this situation, those first two things didn't work, would you not be sitting there, Lord, what else do I need to do? He's also testing his prophet. He's walking back and forth. He's pacing, which is amazing. I like this. It shows you that he's a normal man too, just with a lot of power from the Lord. Um, he returned and walked back and forth to his house and again went up and stretched himself out on him. I like that. 
The staff didn't work. The stretching out didn't work. But no, I want you to go back and do it one more time. One more time. <coughs> if you've tried something, and you prayed about it, do you usually go back and try something that's failed for? No, we usually don't do that, do we? But if God says go back and try that again, are we not to have enough faith to go, well, that'll work then? And when you read it, now this is, this is a little bit of speculation, but you can sort of put the story together and go, since he is testing Elisha's faith, going, I know this failed before, but now I'm in it. Do it now. I know it failed, but go ahead back because now I'm going to bless it. Even though you've tried it before. And that sometimes is, a, is courage to go back and try something you know that's failed. And he's asking his prophet, go back and do that one more time. And you'll find this is a pattern because if you get into the next little section, chapter, there's somebody told you did seven times. He said, go back and try that one more time. Now, that's what you speculate had just happened. He went back, stretched himself out, and the child sneezed seven times. That's a good number in the Bible. That means God's hand was there. That was God's doing. And Elisha knew where his power came from. Notice he didn't ever say, I'm going to do this. No, he, he prayed. He, he, he knew where his power came from. The child sneezed seven times and the child opened up his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, Call this Shunammite woman. So he called her. And when she came into him, he said, Pick up your son. So she went in, fell at his feet, bowed to the ground, and she picked up her son and went out. There, there's, there's, there's stories of faith going on in here constantly. But I like the fact that God puts in here, I'm going to test Elisha's faith too. I'm going to test him. My man. God called him. I'm going to test his faith too. That should be a good reminder for us all in here. You are going through certain things. We all know that. We all, that's why we got a prayer list a lot of times. We're all going through certain things. And we need to pray for those certain things. And we need to have faith that God's hand is in it, no matter how it's looking. But you've got to remember one more thing. You've got men of God that you need to pray for as well, because they're going through things. You've got Pastor Scott, Pastor Kevin's, Jonathan. You've got those men that you need to remember in your prayers, because they're going through things. And I can empathize with Pastor Scott. Because I was a pastor. And he knows about every one of what you're going through. He knows what you're going through. And if he's anything like me, that gets to him. Because you're his family. You're his church family. And sometimes that can be a struggle. Knowing what people are going through. Praying for him. But not only is he praying for what you're going through. He's also going through some things. I know he smiles all the time, but I'll guarantee you that man's going through some stuff. Pray for your pastors. Pray for your prayer list. Remember that God's hand is in there. No matter what the situation looks like. Here we had somebody dead. He brought him back to life. 
It's just like I told the people at work. When my daughter passed away, first words out of my mouth, as sure as you're standing in front of me, I'll see my daughter again. Guaranteed. I have no problems with that. And some of them are atheists and I didn't care. As sure as you're standing there, I will see my daughter again. But I'll see her whole. I've never seen her whole. Never. I will see her whole one day. Yeah, it still shakes me up a little bit, but that's okay. That's what my faith was. And I hope as you're reading through this, it is stories about faith and mercy. You know, when God's hand is in it, you know, you can step out a little bit more. No matter if you can only see the light that's just around the path of your feet, which is a song, by the way. Yeah, you, you know, you got a lamp at your feet. You can only see maybe one step further. That's about it. That's all you really need to see. Can I step one more? Yeah, I, can step one. I can't see everything, but I know there's light there because God's hands in it. I'm going to stop there so when Pastor Scott comes and is on camera, he can pick up with the um, <coughs> uh, bad soup. <laughs> It'd be a good place for him to pick up on as well. Any questions? Well, I do appreciate these opportunities, and I'm very thankful that Pastor Scott lets me do this. I enjoy doing this as well. And it's a study time for me, too. I learn these things. I, I, like, I like reading and, and seeing what other people have to say, people that have far <laughs> more, more studies than I do on this and see what they have to say about these things. And you can agree or disagree some of them, because that doesn't really matter. What does matter, though, is knowing where God is leading with all this. These are foreshadowings of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ had, an, <clears throat> had enough love to come down, clothe himself in flesh, live, die, and raise again for us. And if we have faith in that, that's where we need to be.